This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Would you take your mental health therapy from TikTok? That's what hundreds of thousands of people are doing, at least in a way, through Ashley Wanamaker's account. She's a registered counselor. She never thought she'd be a TikTok therapist, but that's exactly what's happened. We talked to her about the evolving face of mental health therapy in this edition of The Best of Real Talk. I want to introduce you uh, to our next guest in in just a moment, but uh, perhaps she might just do a better job introducing herself. Uh, This is Ashley Wanamaker, as taken from her TikTok. Hi, I'm a professional trend forecaster, and these are my predictions for 2023. This year, it's not for you. It's, in fact, for them. Not sure how to do this trend? Easy. You could just think of anyone who isn't you and do that. It's 2023. Let's bring back the empathy. Have you been doing inner child work? Well, tuck that BB into bed because it's inner angsty teenage time. Let's rage. Up next, did you spend 2022 living more unapologetically? Well, buckle up, baby, because apologizing's back. It's time to listen. We're going to validate. We're going to take responsibility when we've hurt other. This trend is like especially gorgeous for those of us with a fair complexion. Um, just like, yeah, let, let that accountability shine. And of course, we're going to continue to what? To feel those feelings. Emotional regulation is a classic. But this year, we're going to add a little twist. We're going to know that it's important to feel our feelings. And we're also going to know that feelings aren't facts. Which leads me to nuance. Black and white thinking, forget it. Nuance is in. We're really looking forward to seeing how this trend shows up uh, within the confines of social media in particular. So, um, you know, do it. Absolutely love it. Ashley Wanamaker is a registered psychologist. She's an accidental TikTok TikTok therapist and founder of the Being Human Club, uh, a feminist mental health center in beautiful Calgary, Alberta. Ashley specializes in working with trauma, anxiety, depression, grief, eating disorders, and body image concerns. And she's always been a great friend of the show. It's nice to see you again. And I don't think it's too late in the month to wish you a happy new year, is it? No, happy new year. Happy new happy year. Happy to be here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I loved your performance as the professional trend forecaster. I thought you really nailed that one. I like how you chose the only TikTok where I overtly misrepresent myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the trend forecaster. Yeah, I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, but, but but I always thought we always think when we're going to use a video to introduce somebody, what will give us the greatest jumping off talking point? And and so there it is. It, uh, you say you, you you no longer living unapologetically. Now is the time to start apologizing. We just had a moment on the show about 15 minutes ago where where a legendary broadcaster Charles Adler looks into the camera on a take that he had on the show last week and and just basically said yeah i didn't have all the facts i was wrong oh beautiful music to my ears yeah yeah we need to be doing more of that hey are you the type of person like i mean i know that you're you're a professional counselor and obviously a registered psychologist but but can we get into your personal life and, and 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 maybe how you operate when the calendar flips to a new year do you make resolutions? Do you use that as a, as a point to evaluate how you've been doing and how you want to be doing and, and how to get there in between? Yes and no. I think I, I love like a fresh start and a new year. Um, I, I stay away from resolutions in their traditional form because I think they don't work most of the time. Um, but I think it's important to constantly be reflecting on 
you know, how's it going? Do I want things to be different? Do I like how things are going? Um, what's important to me? So I think I do that all the time. I think I do that in my work and my personal life. But I do think the new year is a beautiful, uh, you know, set reminder to go like, how did that go? Yeah. And what would I like to go differently? Yeah. And what would I like to look like or feel like or be doing or be who would I like to be with or whatever the case may be a year from now? Kind of I think goal setting is important, but but sometimes we can get discouraged. Right. We, we set goals. But is, is it fair to say that as human beings, we very rarely achieve them? Maybe maybe that's too much of a maybe that's too much of painting with one brush. I mean, I think that's that's the cliche, right, is that we're a couple of weeks, like you said, into January and people are starting to fall off their resolutions. So I think how we define goals are really important. I think that what we tend to do as humans is uh, we're a dramatic group of beings, right? Like we like all or nothing. So we go from not having gone for a walk for a year to being like, I'm running that marathon now. And then we get really upset when we uh, don't do that. (laughs) So I think examining why we're setting some of the intentions or the goals that we are setting is really important. And I think it's one of the biggest things that gets overlooked often. So when you talk to your, uh, what do you say, patients? Patients? I say I clients. Clients. Patients feels weird to me. It does. Yeah. Okay. So when you're talking power to your, imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Um, uh, yeah. Not more. More contemplative answers. This is a good theme kicking off our week here <laughs> on Real Talk. Uh, but when you're talking to people about how to set like meaningful and achievable goals, is there like a is there a, a boilerplate process to follow, or is it so individualized that it'd be tough to say? Um, I think generally, before we even start talking about how to achieve a goal, I'm always really curious about why you'd like to achieve a goal. So um, unsurprisingly, you know, the the trope of New Year's resolutions often centers around like fitness and weight and, and food. And so when I get people coming into my office and they say, I want to lose weight, um, the first question is always like, okay, why? Uh, why, what does that mean to you? Where does that come from? Because we have all of these factors that influence uh, how we see ourselves and where we'd like to go. And so sometimes we have beliefs that uh, we've just, you know, internalized that maybe don't actually resonate with our values or who we are, but that we think we should be doing. Um, And that can be a reason people don't achieve goals. Uh, Often we want to get to the meaning of the why because it helps us set out like a more, a uh, successful path forward to know what's what is the emotion we're trying to feel what's the meaning we're trying to achieve rather than focusing just on the surface of the behavior or the like final objective hmm. uh we uh it was back on january 4th uh we welcomed a couple of athabasca university professors uh to the show uh kristen roger and, and heather mclean and they were talking about the taylor swift's video in particular the, the the one that sort of garnered a lot of attention described as fat phobic and it was a, an interesting conversation it was one that challenged my understanding of fat phobia and, and and maybe some of the focuses that we want to have or conversations bigger ones as as a society that we want to have um and then just this past friday in our trash talk feature uh, we had a letter from a guy uh, from johnny k a real talker who who sort of took aim at that feature interview and shared his own thoughts on that uh, sort of unapologetically fit was was the tone of of his email and i hope i'm not unfairly uh, summarizing that but you specifically reached out to me <laughs> and said that this was something that you wanted to talk about and you're an expert on this so what's our angle of approach here 
Oh, I have lots of thoughts and feelings about Johnny's message. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the conversation earlier in the week was centered around a Taylor Swift video. So probably fair that, you know, what the purpose of um, fat activism is wasn't discussed thoroughly. Um, but I thought there were so many parts of that that were so interesting when we reflect on and actually good examples of more covert anti-fat bias. Um, so I want to start by saying uh, even fat phobia, I want us to be curious about that term, um, because what we're really talking about isn't, you know, a true phobia like we would diagnose. It's not a mental health issue we're talking about. What we're talking about is prejudice and discrimination towards a group of people. Um, so so fat phobia in and of itself is is a bit misleading. We can talk about anti-fatness or um, anti-fat bias. Um and the other, the other, I guess, thing off the top of my head that I really wanted to say uh, that I thought was very interesting in this letter in particular was um, fat activists aren't trying to make you fat. Fat activists are making sure that fat people have human rights. So it, that's like a really important thing that I think was missed in that letter that I wanted to highlight. Hmm. Um, because you can hear Johnny getting uh, threatened, perhaps is the right word, to say like, well, I work out and I want to work out. And I, I could be wrong, but in that interview, I didn't hear anybody saying everyone should stop working out. This is so a fair that point. was an interesting response. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. Um, and, and I appreciate you taking it on when, when you talk about, I mean, you do a lot of work with people, right? I'm working mm -hmm. with like eating disorders and, and body image concerns. And, and I really appreciate you saying if someone says, well, I want to lose weight, asking why, uh, because you'd probably get a million different answers, right? I mean, mm -hmm. some some of it might be like, I don't know, I just I, I, I want to feel healthier. I want to be a whatever. Uh, but then for a lot of other people, it's probably like a lot of external factors, right? Like, yeah. how, how do you how do you recognize as an individual? What do you say to somebody? Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be weight related. It could be related to any change that somebody wants to make in their life. Uh, how do you understand if that's a change that you're making for, you know, to quote The Bachelor? the right reasons right well i think i think with all of these goals we're often not taught to sit and go like what do i think so we have all these beliefs floating around like you know i'm supposed to do this job or i'm supposed to get married or i'm supposed to do all these things and we often i think until many of us go to therapy we don't stop to go like oh what do i think about that is that something that actually i feel um and so, uh, you know, trying to gather the information to go sort of, where does this come from? And when we are talking about, um, you know, the answer you, you just gave, even if someone says, oh, I want to be healthier, you know, it's like, what does that mean? Because uh, that's probably one of the most common things I hear. And uh, we often as a society, when we're talking about anti-fat bias, we conflate health and being thin. Sure. And actually, those are different things. And actually... Health has been co-opted into this idea of like physical health, right? Like when we reference health and wellness, what we're really talking about is, you know, what we put in our bodies and how we move. And that's certainly, you know, in the pie chart of health, that's a, that's a slice, but that's not what health means. You know, we're missing emotional health, mental health, social health, sexual health, occupational health, financial health. There's all these other parts of us um, that, get pushed aside and that are that are just as important as physical health and intersecting with physical health so even that question of like i want to be healthier it's like okay what does that mean you know what does that mean we go we go down and down and down to go like what are we saying 
you know, what are we talking about? Well, there's probably grossly unhealthy. There are grossly unhealthy ways to get thin. Uh, sure. To state the very obvious, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think the the pursuit of thinness uh, is probably for some people, uh, you know, probably one of the worst things they could do. Um, but again, I don't venture uh, or I don't uh, I shouldn't be wading into a conversation on this. I'm not an expert, but just like the way that real people talk. I think you're right. You know, there there certainly is that understanding of uh, and, and but I th- I've seen like more conversations, I think, open minded conversations among the general public, including on shows like this um, about breaking some of those those notions that people have held. Do you see it? Like, do you see public attitudes changing from, from your perspective? Sure. Slowly, really slowly. I think we have a lot of work left to do. Um, you know, that letter that we were talking about that was on, on trash talk, uh, which I can't say without hearing your voice of like, I'm not going to do your trash talk voice, but in my head, I, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I would love to hear it. We could, we, could, we could, Johnny could sample it. We could have like a guest. We could have like a guest voiceover that you could do once a month or something. No, I will. I will not take you up on that. Okay, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like so. Thinking about that letter and thinking about how Johnny in, in the letter was like, you know, yeah, let's not body shame. Like, I'm not going to start screaming at people in the street that they're fat, uh, and or I'm going to like defend them if that's happening, which is great news. That's wonderful. Um, and also, that's not the only way that these attitudes negatively affect people. So if we, if we think about even, you know, if we take the word fat out and we, and we insert like race, um, great overt racism of like, you know, being objectively discriminatory towards black people. Um, you know, most people would agree at this point in time, I hope that that's unacceptable and people would stand up and say something. Uh, but we also know that there's all these microaggressions that occur. And we also know that there's all these systemic issues that occur. And so, you know, thinking about how, for example, in healthcare, uh, the use of the BMI, which is truly nonsense and has been proven to be not only nonsense, but rooted in racism, Um, So it's not only like a bad predictor of health incomes, it's what most medical practitioners, most physicians are taught in med school, and it's still perpetuated. And so if we look at the kind of care that someone who is fat gets versus someone who is in a thin body gets, like, like, that's a big issue. That's a big um, concern in terms of harm and in terms of, of health outcomes. So we have to sort of look at, do I think that things are changing? Yes. Do we have loads of work still to do? Yes. And, and you can hear a microaggression actually in that letter when Johnny's saying like, you know, if people want to be fat, they can be fat, but like I go to the gym every day and it's because of my health history. And, and it's like, that's awesome. We do know, like move your body. We should all be moving our bodies. But the assumption that, um, you know, Johnny isn't fat because he goes to the gym once a day is quite naive actually, because what we do know is that you know, between 30 to 80% of our weight is determined by genetics. And there's actually lots of research that shows, uh, you know, exercise as a form of, of weight loss doesn't work, similar to dieting. So does that mean we shouldn't move our bodies? No, we should totally move our bodies for different reasons. Um, but the assumption that, you know, Johnny is not fat because he is engaging in, you know, exercise consistently and shows the self-discipline is wrong and is inherently judgmental of saying, you know, and fat people aren't doing that. There's fat people that do Ironmans. There's fat people that run marathons. There's fat people who have infinitely less health problems than I do. And I'm, 
you know, in a straight sized body. So I think the harm is in those assumptions. And I think we do need to dig down a bit deeper as a society and start really like acknowledging those things so we can change them. Mm. Oh, we're talking about a, a trash talk that ran on, uh, it was uh, Friday the 6th of January, if, if my memory is correct. And then I don't know if you heard Ashley just this last Friday is on Friday the 13th, but there was a follow up to it uh, from a real talker who talked about her own personal experience and, and trying to lose weight, including the gastric sleeve surgery and, uh, mm-hmm. and basically her upbringing. She said that, you know, in her mind the most unhealthy that she's ever been was at 24 years of age when she was 100 pounds um mm-hmm. and uh it was a really powerful email and it's never it's never uh, lost i mean i always try to really say it clearly like spell it out how much it means to us uh when people i think it takes a great amount of courage to write in to use your name and to say this is my experience and i'm so grateful for that um we talked about your tiktok following and you 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 sort of uh you, you present yourself as an accidental TikTok therapist, which I love your bio on TikTok. You're at Ashley Wanamaker, uh, the TikTok psychologist you need, not the one you want. <laughs> Tell us what that means. Well, um, well, first of all, I, I guess I made a TikTok early in the pandemic, truly for my friends uh and was like this is fine no one will ever find it as long as no clients see it that's a fun thing i did and then uh i had some videos go viral uh which was so wildly uncomfortable to me so i feel like uh, millions of views (laughs) yeah 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 so that was really uncomfortable because i'm really comfortable being you know an expert and and the nature of the work i do isn't about me it's about you know, the people I work with. And so I'm really comfortable doing that. I'm less comfortable talking about myself. So when, when things did go viral, I was like, Oh God, what have I done? Um, but then tried to leverage that into doing something useful. So what feels useful to me is using that platform to provide mental health information to people who might not otherwise have access. Um, and so the reason that my bio says what it says is that a few of the first videos that went viral was me saying, sort of these like unpleasant truths that people don't often want to hear, but that are really important. I think a lot of people think that psychologists are, are just like super nice understanding people. And certainly being an empathetic, safe human is really important. But a lot of my job is actually telling people things they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. I think that's also my responsibility. And so um, I think that's what people tended to like more is when I was like, I'm going to hurt your feelings a little bit for the, for good, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so sort of just, yeah, that, that's what my bio explains is uh, me saying things people might not want to hear, but might be important for them to hear. I know that no mental health professional, including yourself, is ever going to suggest that that like, you know, reels on Instagram or or, you know, posts on TikTok will replace therapy. And obviously, there's uh, an immense amount of value uh, in therapy. And, and, I, and I hate to say it, but for people who can afford it or who people who have mm-hmm. access to it or people who have coverage for it. But I do think it's super cool um, that for, for all of the ills and, and frustrations and, and kind of the nastiness and gnarliness of social media, uh, that it also provides opportunities to do exactly what you're saying for somebody to to follow you on, on Instagram or in particular TikTok and every day or every few days get a little blast of wisdom or insight or direction. Uh, it's really cool. And if you think, I mean, uh, again, I know I'm sound like I'm 95 years old here, but that wasn't even a thing five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And, and t- to me, I've been making a real concerted effort lately 
um, to start following people on my personal accounts that 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 edify me, that encourage me, that educate me. And uh, mm-hmm. and I'm really grateful for it, including yours. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's happening so much more. And I think when COVID happened, it was an interesting time, particularly for like therapists online, because pr- previous to COVID, uh, we're really taught in our training to, to not exist online, uh, which seems sort of outrageous now. But it was like, don't be online. Don't let clients see anything about you. We were kind of taught to be these one dimensional, like therapists who are only professional, which is problematic for lots of reasons. But then COVID happened and everyone, for lack of a better word, was freaking out. Um, and so I think a lot of therapists felt a duty or a responsibility to help offer some coping strategies for people who might not otherwise have had them. Um, and so now it's sort of the Wild West, which I think I think you're right. I think having, you know, democratizing mental health information is really important. And uh, with that comes a whole bunch of people who might not be held to the same ethical standards appearing online offering mental health information that is wrong like if you notice on my tiktok uh, it's unethical for me to offer therapy to people who are not my clients even my clients if they send me you know communications on social media it's like that is that is not therapy that's explicit i'm not to be diagnosing anybody so there are also accounts that uh drive me nuts a little bit because it's offering all this information that then people who might not otherwise have gone through the proper, you know, training or aren't being held to a standard to protect people uh, are misusing. And so that's, that's sort of the dark side of that, that I, I, I caution people away from. That's such a great point. And I'm thinking of some specific names, but I don't think you nor I are looking to pick fights right now, unless you are. I mean, we can go I throw mean. down and I mean, let's go. Uh, how much, how much of your counseling was like, are you, by the way, you're, you're sitting in an actual office, right? That's not a fake background behind you. It's my real office. Look at yeah. It's, it's like beautiful. Is, is that Thank the, uh, is that the, the being human club? Is that, Yes, that's what we're seeing there. Yes. So, uh, you, so you sit with people like I'm, I'm. I'm noticing hand sanitizer on the table and stuff. I'm assuming that this is actually where some of your sessions happen. This is where you sit yep. with people. Um, before COVID, were you a hundred percent in person? During COVID, did you maintain operations uh, at full capacity via Zoom or whatever? And then, where are you now with regards to that balance? Like how? And that must present challenges, by the way, to not be in person with someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the start of the pandemic was a wild time. Um, so the start of the pandemic, I would say almost all my sessions were in person, um, which I which I really loved. Um, and then so I went from spending like nine or 10 hours a day with humans in a room uh, to staring at a screen. And uh, I was at a point in my, t- in my career where um, I had just stopped taking new clients on because my practice was probably a little too full. And I was like, okay, here is good. But a lot of the clients I was I was seeing at the time, um, you know, had had were doing really well, so I wouldn't see them as often. And then when the pandemic hit, suddenly like everyone was in crisis, and we were all in the same crisis, which is a weird thing. You're not usually in, you know, the trauma that you're treating <laughs> with people, right? Um, so I went from being with people all day to staring at a screen, like in my condo, this tiny little spare room, and and I felt so tired, and that was shocking to me. We now have research to back up that for for psychologists, for therapists, for counselors, doing this kind of online work can feel more draining. Um, I wasn't allowed to go back to my old office for about three months. I had to operate um, 
from my home. And so those were wild times. Uh, I was working like ridiculous hours at that point. Um, and then as the pandemic has ebbed and, and flowed with, with case counts, you know, having people come back in making sure everyone's being safe. I feel very fortunate. Um, I'm immunocompromised. So I, I feel so fortunate that my clients have been so respectful huh. of that. Um, so I have to weigh my personal risk too, but you know, at, at being human club, we really pride ourselves on having really kept things safe. We still mask in all the common areas. Uh, we have HEPA filters in every single office. We're socially distanced enough. So, um, really fortunate for the community we've created here and for all of our clients have been so respectful of that people tend to take their mask off once they come into the office um and they don't come we ask that they don't come obviously if they have any symptoms so um yeah so now i, I mean now it's interesting now i would say probably like a 60 40 split depending yeah. uh we're lo located in downtown so a lot of people who used to just like you know walk on over on their lunch break uh people weren't coming downtown as often things are changing a bit more now um, but some people I think will probably be virtual forever because of convenience or because of safety. Yeah. And I have total respect for that. I kind of love the balance now of having some in person and some virtual. It feels, it feels much better than it did at the start for yeah. sure. Yeah. Is, is counseling changing? Like does, 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 does the, uh, I don't know, what is it? Is it an art or a science? It's both. It's an art and a science. Um, do you, do you see it? Like, have there been impacts on the actual practice of it uh that you notice i mean has how, how many years have you been doing this has, has it changed demonstrably from when you started to where it is now um that's a big question i don't know if i can answer that i know that i've been in private practice for six years i've worked in mental health for good lord probably like over 10 years for sure um the way i practice continues to change and evolve i one thing that i do notice is that this is as a trauma therapist, this is all like very intense work. Um, but I think the thing that helped buffer that in person before the pandemic happened was uh, so much of what my job is, is to attune to like pe what people's bodies are doing. Um, you know, only like 10% of communication is the are, are the words that we speak. So, you know, looking at what's not being said, noticing these little like um, expression changes or noticing when people's body language goes like this, it becomes really difficult to you know assess that from just like the shoulders up so uh, it's beautiful to have that I, it's possible to do without i think having good rapport with clients and knowing you know really who they are uh, you have to i think have that to be able to catch those things virtually um but i think certainly the way i practice when i started even six years ago versus now i mean we have more tools certainly to facilitate online one of the therapies uh the interventions that i do is called emdr uh, which involves eye movements. I've heard and about this. Oh, it's a wild ride. It's so weird. I always preface it by being like, "This is gonna be weird." <laughs> can you can <laughs> you tell us? Like, a, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, I'd love to. So, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Which, full disclosure, I thought was total nonsense when I started, um, and I I would like I was a total jerk about it. I was like, okay, because essentially what we're saying is. We go back to traumatic moments uh, and then we process those by doing these eye movements, which basically your eyes go back and forth like this. It's not hypnosis. A lot of people ask if it's hypnosis and it's not. Um, but in, in the simplest way I can explain it is if we imagine sort of like two sides of the brain, which is not really how the brain works, but for the sake of explanation here, um, we can talk about in traumatic moments, how there's 
the story of what happened. So the events that happened, and then we have the emotions of what happened. And, and often in traumatic moments, we go into this like fight, flight, freeze response. And when we're in that response, we don't have access to all of the emotions. So in fight, flight, or freeze, we have access to like irritation, anger, numbing out, um, but we can't access all the other things. So when we go back with EMDR, we go back to what happened and then, oh, great. That's a beautiful visualization. Uh, and then we can, it's sort of like fast forward processing the emotion. And it's a wild time because people will be like, like angry and then crying and then laughing and then calm. And like, there's all kinds of wild things that happen in the body. And I was so skeptical until I went to the training begrudgingly. And I was like, this is a bunch of nonsense. It's now the gold standard treatment for trauma and a whole host of other things. Yeah. And we have to actually do the EMDR when we go to the training. And so it wasn't until like I had EMDR done to me and I was like quite smug. I was like, I know what this thing's about. I know exactly what it is. Da, 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 da. And then I did it. And of course it was like totally something different. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, I kind of hate that it works so well because it feels hokey, but there's tons of research behind it. But I feel unethical not doing it because it works so fast. Mm. Um, people are processing things so quickly. Um, people who have had like unprocessed trauma for decades. I've used this a lot with like, you know, like ex-military people with people who had, you know, developmental childhood trauma, just like, like truly like horrifying experiences that have dictated how their life has gone and then have had it clear in like a matter of months. Wow. Um, and they get their lives back. So I do it all the time. Uh, but I do warn people that like, it's unlike a lot of other therapies and it feels kind of strange. It's a wild ride. Huh? Uh, Nick's watching now live uh, on YouTube. He says that EMDR is working for his two year old. Yeah. Like toddlers yeah. can receive the therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And the cool thing about, I, I don't work with children that young, but there are EMDR therapists who do. Um, and there's different modalities because, you know, someone who's two might not be able to follow, like we use a light bar. I have a machine over here. I can move it over and show you later, but um, well, like we use a light bar, we use hand buzzies, but there's different ways to do what's called bilateral stimulation, which is essentially stimulating either side of the brain to help process so um yeah for children there's different ways to do it that looks a lot different than in adults but the beautiful thing about kids is that you know a two-year-old doesn't have like this cemented sort of trauma that's dictating how they operate through the world for decades so it often processes much quicker in children than it would in adults so i'm happy to hear it that's so great wow um I'm trying to decide if I want to put you in this position. You're going to hate me. That's okay. Dr. Jordan Peterson's name has come up in the live uh, chat. <laughs> Sorry. What do you want me to do? And I okay. have, I have a registered psychologist right here live on the show. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious for your take. Speak, get into this as much as you like or not at all. Sure. Um, but Dr. Peterson, as you know, the, the uh, College of Psychologists of Ontario has essentially told him that he needs to, to sort of take some social media retraining or he risks losing his license. And he's clapping back and making a big deal of it, as you would expect he would. And his mm -hmm. legion of ardent followers, his disciples are are targeting yeah. the college. But the, the college has essentially said, like, sorry, like uh, this is, we, we said what we meant. And we meant what we said. And this is the deal. 
Um, your thoughts on on the entire scenario and and Dr. Jordan Peterson and whether or not he's fit to have a professional license. I mean, uh, I think that you know people can have different personal opinions and convictions, and I don't think that all mm-hmm. psychologists in Ontario or across Canada are on the same page about everything. Um, have you been paying attention to the story, and what do you make of it? Oh, yes and no. It's so funny. My my partner yesterday was like you should talk about jordan peterson and i was like i'm not giving that man any more attention (laughs) your partner (laughs) said you should talk about him on this show yeah he was like you should you should like bring that up because that came up last week and i was like uh but i was like i that that man oh hurts my soul Uh, i mean here here's what i'll say i i deliberately don't follow jordan peterson for many reasons um but in the context of what's going on with the college right now, that I know about, which really is a very surface understanding of what's going on with him, because I, again, try not to pay attention to him. Um, so I think the criticism is from a lot of his followers that like, and probably from him, is that the college is like censoring him and this is like freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. What, what people don't understand um, is that the college actually exists to protect the public. So that's something unique to the college of psychologists in each province is that they're actually not there to protect us as psychologists, um, which is what like the college of physicians does, right? Like they, they tend to look out for like the physicians college of psychologists is there to protect the public um, because we are in positions of power, that there has to be accountability, that there are ethical codes, that we need to be held to a standard to be sure that we're not hurting people. And that includes how we speak publicly. So, like, Jordan Peterson is entitled to have whatever thoughts and feelings that he has. And just as I am, he needs to be held accountable to what he's saying publicly. Um, because there are, like, ethical considerations here that, for example... As I mentioned earlier, like I'm not walking around like diagnosing people uh, because that's unethical and potentially harmful. I have to be really mindful, even though I use humor often, even though, you know, I talk about a wide range of things, even though I have um, opinions that maybe not every psychologist agrees to. I only am allowed to say those things publicly if they are like founded on research and there's Mm -hmm. evidence um, I'm a professional. I people's well-being and lives are put in our hands. So. I have to really consider like, how is what I'm saying potentially going to negatively impact people who might be vulnerable to this information? And that's something Jordan Peterson doesn't do. So it's so much less about freedom of speech. It's more about like, he perpetuates incorrect and harmful personal opinions um, that he does not like dictate our personal opinions. We have a responsibility. If I'm going to say something personal, that's not rooted in science, I have to be really clear about like, this is a personal opinion, this is a professional opinion. And I have to be open that it's standard practice that if someone is causing harm, uh, that they first receive training uh, before they potentially lose their license and lose the privileges. This, this job comes with incredible privilege and incredible power, and it needs to be used responsibly. So I'm glad the college is doing that. I think that as Peterson does, he's doing a you know, quite a masterful job of twisting what's actually happening to victimize himself to say, I'm being, you know, I'm being censored, I'm being whatever. And it's like, no, you're being held accountable for what your job entails. And if you don't want to be held accountable to the college, then give up your license and like, come up with a different title for yourself. But Jordan Peterson is not somebody who is speaking ethically or behaving ethically online. and, And there should be accountability for that. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. Uh, 
Am I making everyone furious? <laughs> no, no. Are you kidding? No, like I, I don't. I mean, well, you're probably making Peterson disciples furious, but I'm just like it's I'm fine. scrolling. I'm scrolling through his his Twitter profile to find something that I saw over the weekend that I just shook my head at. And it looks like he might've actually deleted it, but uh, uh, like, it's, it's just, it's really interesting to see him like now, you know, here he's tweeting about like socialist globalists and he's talking about defunding oh the God. CBC and he was taking a run at some prominent uh, Canadian journalists who happen to be women. Um, I, I don't think that that's, I, I mean, happen to be, I say that facetiously uh, just, yeah, it's, it's just, he's, he's a very unique case uh, when it comes to psychology and how they typically behave or present themselves publicly but but he's also got Ashley as you know like millions of followers I mean I was making the argument and it's not like it's not a strong argument I acknowledge it's actually kind of a a stupid position to take on the show last week because I was like I was like who even cares if he gets stripped of his professional credentials like he's 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 a millionaire so many times over he's got this patreon where people were were giving him hundreds of thousands of dollars he's got all these best-selling books he does his speaking tours like he doesn't need like he can just be jordan peterson or he can someone i'm I'm sure that some you know like mail in uh, put the stamp on the paper university somewhere will give him an honorary doctorate so he can keep being dr jordan peterson but i don't think he needs his professional designation to to maintain this audience that he has Uh, and i did get some angry emails from big peterson supporters that were talking about how like who would care you know are you kidding me who cares about the professional designation are you even listening to yourself i acknowledge i I was a little bit glib about it uh but i do think it's i do think it's safe to say that there's no other i mean if if you want to call him now you're going to puke in your mouth a little bit when i say this but (laughs) but if you i don't know if you want to call him a mental health professional but that's what a psychologist is and he is yeah. a psychologist, so I guess he's a mental health professional. Um, mm-hmm. But but he he sure is is on an island with regards to his public conduct, the things that he said. Um, Johnny, who does a great job producing this show, is just showing us some, some images of, of of his comments about Elliot Page. He's a uh, quack, the Canadian actor. He's a uh, quack. You know, yeah, but he's a quack with like an audience of but I mean millions. Do your job. Don't tell people like, hey, you can beat depression by making your bed and cleaning your room like he just like 12 rules for life it's so simple and he's a quack well ashley okay so that's johnny's opinion ashley is there and now i know you're gonna you're gonna remind us that you just told us that you don't pay much attention to him on purpose so maybe this question's unfair uh but aside from maybe sort of you know you, you can get a sense of what a guy like that is all about by how you know his public comments public commentary about him and the reputation that he forges but like, have you seen examples of just like straight up bad advice? Like, is, can you think of one off the top of your head where you go, this is one example of why I got no time for this guy? I mean, I think like the sexism and like the transphobia, like I, I just think uh, I can't even think of one thing with him. But what I will say is he's an excellent example of like there's different kinds of people that tend to be drawn to this profession in particular. So there's people like myself who... Um, I feel really strongly about mental health and, and I really want to, I think people are fascinating and I love like working with people. I think that's an honor to get to like work with people and hear their stories. So it's like very little about me. And, and as I think a good clinician, we have to constantly be asking ourselves, like, if I'm going to share something that is about myself, like, who is this for? Um, and it, the answer always needs to be, if it's in a session or if it's like publicly speaking, like it has to be like for other people. Um, our goal is to also part of our ethical code is to also educate like the public. So, so that that's one kind of person. I think Jordan Peterson is an excellent example of someone who has like big narcissistic traits who 
probably sought out this profession because he wants to be treated like some kind of guru, right? Because if I think about where his comments tend to come from, he actually like does the opposite of what I just described, which is I think he actively causes harm to people. When he says things, he likes to embolden people who might, for several unrelated reasons, feel disenfranchised, feel alone, which I think is why he's so successful. He's managed to monopolize, you know, a subset of like young men who are feeling lost and, you know, isolated and disenfranchised in different ways, which is fair. Um, but then the way that he deals with that is by attacking other arguably more marginalized groups of people. Um, and, and it's a lot of like hate and it's a lot of criticism and I think it's harmful. So he's publicly saying things like that are transphobic, that are sexist, that are wrong and, and hurtful. So he's someone who's very dangerous and, and there's, he's not the only one. There's tons of people in this profession who simply want to be like the expert because they want to feel important. They want it to be about them. They want to feel worshipped by like their followers, but but we we shouldn't be conflating that with what actual therapy is and what actual mental health care looks like. That's like some weird guru nonsense that's rampant and I think on the rise. That's not therapy. That's not care. That's not health care. You can follow Ashley Wanamaker on TikTok and on Instagram at Ashley Wanamaker, and you can find her online at AshleyWanamaker.com. You can learn more about what she does, her collective, uh, with, along with her colleagues at BeingHumanClub.com. It's so good to... I, we, we kept you longer, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm realizing you probably have a session starting in six minutes. So we're going <laughs> to let you go. But Happy New Year. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll look forward to the next time our paths cross. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Ryan. You got it. That's registered psychologist Ashley Wanamaker. Loved that conversation with Ashley. We'll be sure to get her back on the show in the weeks and months to come. In just a second, filmmaker Trevor Anderson and photographer Fish Grakowski on their new film, Before I Change My Mind. Commentary, artistic interpretation of representation of non-binary people in society and sport. But first, a message from the sponsors making this possible. Are you a professional engineer or a recent graduate from an engineering school anywhere in Canada? Apex Automation wants to talk to you. That's right. They're hiring in a number of rewarding career opportunities. We're talking engineering, fabrication, automation. This team is leading the charge, putting their people and their clients ahead of their profits. You want proof? on why this company's culture is different than all the rest, check them out today at apexautomation.ca. Tens of thousands of Canadians are trusting their post-secondary learning experience to Athabasca University. Why? Because Canada's Open University offers world-class accredited online programs and courses that give you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Plus, it's one of Canada's most reputable research universities. You can learn more about the undergraduate, graduate programs, and other reasons to check out AthabascaU.ca. 
California Closets is providing custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. Make the most of your space with their custom organizational systems. Sure, it may be a dream closet in your bedroom, or maybe it's a craft closet downstairs for the kids. How about something to house your entertainment system in a way that increases the quality of the experience and the value of your home? Plus, they do garages. Oh, do they do garages? You can get a free consultation today at californiaclosets.ca. Are you dealing with flood damage, fire damage? Maybe you or your construction crew found mold or asbestos in those walls you're looking to renovate? Oh man, this type of nightmare needs to be trusted to the talented team at Complete Care Restoration. They're the ones we trusted with our studio build. They're the ones you should trust for whatever you need done, construction, renovation, or recovery. It's Complete Care Restoration online at completecarerestoration.ca. No matter what you're celebrating, guaranteed there's a perfect fit for a custom DQ cake. That's right, any occasion is a happy occasion with a DQ cake. We recommend that Real Talkers check out the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You'll find happiness however you want it. That world-famous soft serve with a fudgy, crunchy, chocolatey middle. The perfect way to celebrate any occasion is a DQ cake from the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, West Mount at Baseline Road. For more than 20 years, Eden Landscaping has been bringing outdoor spaces to life. Still family-owned, still based out of Edmonton, Alberta, this team has perfected the art of modern to traditional and every other type of landscape design. Their projects all have one thing in common, that's happy clients. What's the difference in dealing with Eden Landscaping? Find out today with a free consultation. You can learn more and book it at landscapeedmonton.ca. The first of the month means 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more at all Friesen Brothers locations. 16 of them across the province of Alberta where Albertans have trusted this family-owned grocer to put quality, affordable, nutritious meals on those family dinner tables. Established in 1955, still family-owned. It's Friesen Brothers online at Friesen.com. Are you noticing health issues with your pets? Maybe obvious joint pain? Maybe there's something with their coat just doesn't look the same as it used to? It could be what they're eating. May we recommend you check out Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. We're proud to feed Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food to our dogs, and we've seen the health benefits. The best part about it, it's affordable. The business is family-owned. They care deeply about what they do, and the food's delivered right to our door. If you're in Edmonton, Calgary, or Central Alberta, check them out online. The promo code REALTALK takes 10% off your first order at granddog.ca. Are you an apprentice or journey person electrician? 
Kubi Renewable Energy would love to hear from you. That's right. It is heading into their hottest season, the busiest time of year, and they're looking for installers looking to put up solar power projects across B.C., Alberta, and into Saskatchewan. Kubi Energy is one of Canada's busiest solar installers and the only installer that's Tesla certified. You can check out the work that they're doing online at kubienergy.ca. Make the next move in your career today. If you're making decisions for a small business, a large business, or an entire community when it comes to residential or commercial, even industrial garbage and recycling management, maybe you're taking a look at a big home renovation or a huge landscaping project and you could use one of those front load or roll off bins. Are you putting together a community event or a festival this summer where you'll need fencing, portable toilets, or even water hauling? Keep it local with Local Environmental Services. You'll find them online at localenvironmental.ca. Today we celebrate the arts, the creative arts, collaboration. Today we're going to talk about the art of storytelling with the celebrated director and his writing partner. And we're thrilled in just a moment uh, to welcome Trevor Anderson and Fish Grakowski to the Real Talk (laughs) studio. It's a special day uh, for them. This is the eve of opening night at the Rainbow Visions Film Festival at Edmonton's famed Metro Cinema at the Garneau, where before I change my mind, we'll kick off that annual celebration of LGBTQ2S plus film across Canada and around the world. Before I introduce you to the pair that made this film happen, let's take a look at a scene from Before I Change My Mind. Hey, Marnold. My name's Tony. Did he just say his name was Marnold? Marnold? What kind of name is Marnold? Tony. Whatever you say, Marnold. You're the expert. Hey, Robin, right? Let's find you an instrument. Back home, I used to be a clarinet player for a year. Mm-hmm. And you can be whatever you want to be in life. Here, we only have saxophones. But that film directed by Trevor Anderson, uh, co-written by Fish Grakowski, who joined us live in the Real Talk studio. It's so nice to have you here. Good morning to you. Hi, Ryan. Nice digs. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, it's amazing. I'm a little bit pissed off at you, Fish, as a matter of fact. Why is that? Well, Ooh, because, we uh, yeah, I, I just thought I'd start hot. You said I thought I'd start nice. hot. Uh, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't properly, I didn't, I didn't sort of read through your CVs and properly introduce you. I should go through, Trevor, your work and, and, and all of the accolades that you've earned in your incredible career in film, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. And Fish, of course, the the uh, arts and culture critic uh, for the Edmonton Journal, yeah, right? For Post yeah, Media and, yeah. and a man about town. And you've done a ton of stuff with, with photography. You've got your your Canon DSLR right here on the table with us. This is what you do everywhere you go. I see you with this camera. But I saw you jumping, the, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, we'll talk about the film, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but on social media, on Twitter the other day, someone was was uh, taking shots at Edmonton's downtown, and we've talked about the woes of downtown. Right. And crime is up, and perception is yeah. not positive, and yeah. advocacy groups are doing everything they can to attract people to live and work downtown. And you named all of the crown jewels of Edmonton's downtown. You talked about the CBC. You talked about ckua right but nary a mention of the real talk studio in the historic mercer warehouse i knew exactly where this was going yeah, yeah no it's yeah. true i mean downtown's complicated but uh i just wanted to as you do all the time just add some 
you know, details to the argument. I liked it. Yeah. Layers to the onion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry about that. And it's because I hadn't been in here yet. And, and now that would be number one. Now it would be number one. That's all I was endeavoring to do. Okay, thanks to the both of you. Go see before I change. No. Uh, <laughs> see you later. You're just, you are, you are, I mean, this is, this is certainly your home province. Yeah. Um, and, and do you consider Edmonton your hometown, Trevor? I was thinking about this yesterday. If it's like sourdough, Red Deer started me and Edmonton baked me. Yes. I like that. We'll let the, this feels like a great time for a Friesen Brothers mention. They have a sourdough thing going on right oh, now. Yeah? But, but we'll save it. <laughs> Straight to the sponsors. We'll, we'll save it. So, so Red Deer was the starter. Um, and it, yeah. I, I'm jumping all over here because sure. I have so many questions. I love the film and, and people will be able to check it out. Obviously, tomorrow night's a big one, opening night, expecting a sold out house. But uh, were there, there are scenes from Red Deer there. there. There's that water tower. There's the water tower, the big green bulbous water tower. Yes. That Is that the one in the kid, film? I called it E.T. Yeah. That one. And is de- that had to be in the film. That was sort of one of the first images. Uh, that was non-negotiable. We had to have that water tower. Kind of a, an homage to, to, to your upbringing. And, and, and I can't wait to pick your brain on this. Uh, I, I've seen some interviews you've done talking about the film as, as somewhat biographical. For folks that aren't familiar with it, yeah. uh, this is the story. It's a, a coming-of-age drama about a person yep. named Robin. Yep. 1987. Small town Alberta The lawyers don't want me To say Red Deer Um, (laughs) Why is that? Well no That's the funny Sound bite to say But the truth is That uh, it's not Red Deer anymore Because St. Albert Place Is in it Uh, Like I love landmarks In my films And so We had so many Beautiful landmarks From all over Alberta That it's not Factual to say It's Red Deer anymore Now it's Mm. this Small town Alberta Of the mind You know Uh, So There's that that, wavy Brick wall Outside Yeah the Douglas Cardinal Wavy wall I love it. Um, so, and the Kalmar Pharmacy for your listeners in Kalmar. Yes. Yeah. So we, sh- we built a part of the set outside of Beaumont. So it's really all over. But the, the back to what it is. 1987, new kid arrives at junior high school. Nobody can tell if new kid is a boy or a girl. You think that's where the movie's going to go. But then the movie never discloses a gender for the hero. And it becomes more about this kid making increasingly dangerous choices to fit in. Hmm. Co-written, uh, you and, and, and your your collaborative and creative partner, Fish Grikowski. Sponsored by Garfield. Sponsor. I was going to know. You've, you've got the, uh, you, I mean, you're a guy, you're, you're a man of, yeah. of, of, of vintage finds and, and, and uh, restored treasures. Yeah, for real. And the Garfield button is, is something special. Um, I want to ask you how you got involved with the project, but I'm just noticing right at this moment that both of you are wearing matching swatches. Right. Yeah. What's the story? Not fabric swatches, the actual watches. Well, the movie set in the 80s, and we already loved swatch, but this just really drilled home our love of swatch. On the day yeah. that we were shooting uh, one of the producers Allison Richards and Fish and I went to West Edmonton Mall and bought matching swatches and then the film got its world premiere at the Locarno Film Festival in Switzerland oh do you want me to yeah, no, there. no, yeah, there, no, there you go. Um, Show the folks watching on YouTube. And Locarno is in Switzerland, and swatches are from Switzerland. And all of a sudden, we learned about this swatch sponsorship the Locarno Film Festival has. And every year, swatch makes a like a collectible Locarno Film Festival swatch. Mm-hmm. And it turned so, out to be a cat, right? So I got really excited about that. So the very first thing we did when we landed in uh, Switzerland is we checked in and then just ran right, right to the swatch booth, right? Yes, where, where they were being sold, and because we were a little late, we weren't there on opening day or anything like that ran right there looked there were three left we grabbed them 
And then this guy behind us got really mad. Yeah, we made it. He wanted me straight off the plane. We made yeah. an enemy at the Locarno Film Festival. Yeah, well, you, you guys are kind <laughs> and of. And that man was kind of Lars von Trier. <laughs> <laughs> and we never worked in film again. Uh, Locarno was big. We'll circle back on yeah, this, yeah, yeah. but but the, but the star of your film uh, is it? Uh, von does Von Marais. pronounce their name Murray? Yeah, Von uh, Marais. Von Marais taking best actor honors yeah. at the Locarno Film Festival, which is incredible. I want to talk about the casting of that for a second, but how do you become involved in this? If, if I'm reading or remembering or assessing the timeline correctly, what a boost back at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival yeah. where, where this screenplay yeah. is named to the GLAAD list, which is a, a list, a curated list of the 10 most promising LGBTQ2 plus screenplays. So, so you were already involved, Fish, yeah, before 2020. How did you come into the mix? Trevor and I have known each other since maybe the mid-90s at U of A, hanging out at Rebar and <laughs> ter- <laughs> terrible dance floors and this kind of thing. And so over the years, like as he moved from theater into film, um, I just kind of was along for the ride. Like, so for the first, I mean, you did a movie, but there was a point where you asked me to shoot the high level bridge. Yes. I don't know if anyone remembers that, of but course. basically it was kind of, you can, you can explain how it worked, but basically we had this sort of cheap high res camera and Trevor's just like, here, take it, take pictures of the high level or take video of the high level bridge. And I just did that over the whole winter. And then our, our editor, Justin Lachance threw that together. That went uh, to... Sundance, <clears throat> world premiere at Sundance. Yeah, world no, pre- not world premiere. No, 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 no. Played at Sundance. Yeah, yeah. So it went to AFI in Hollywood, and then when we were there, uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, like we we weren't even going to go to this award show. Why don't you pick this up here? Well, we didn't think we qualified for any of the awards at the awards brunch, so we thought, okay, well, let's just go to the ocean. We're in Los Angeles. Like, yes, what are we? we're Canadians in LA. We're supposed to go to the water. Um, but then, okay, well, we should go support the other filmmakers at the festival and just poke our heads in. So we poke our heads in, and Greta Gerwig is like, and the honorable mention goes to, and so it was like, oh, hello, Greta Gerwig, shaking hands and <laughs> taking this. It was a nice honorable mention for the short, which sort of put the gas back in the tank. And But so to circle back around, so Fish did a bunch of jobs on a lot of my shorts. He was cinematographer on the High Level Bridge, what he just mentioned. Uh, he's been a dancer. He's been a puppeteer. He's been an actor. He's sort of done Odd Job Charlie on a lot of the shorts. Uh, and then I was like, I made a lot of shorts. I made maybe too many shorts. I made 12 shorts over 17 years. And the whole time I was hitting my head against the brick wall of trying to write a feature. And I just couldn't get my head around the, the bigger project of the full length film. Um, and then I said to myself, okay, what, if I wasn't trying to be so clever, what's like the cliche? Uh, what, what am I trying to avoid? And that's the semi-autobiographical coming-of-age story, right? That's what mm. everyone's supposed to do first. So I very grudgingly wrote out this beat sheet of like, what would the story be? And then I was complaining about it to Fish. And Fish said, well, what if you, uh, what if the kid walked in and nobody could tell if they were a boy or a girl? Bing! Suddenly it was not just you know, like a diary entry anymore. Suddenly it was interesting for a movie. I was like, oh, how could we, could we never reveal the gender of the protagonist? That's good, very interesting to me, right? I haven't seen that in a movie before. And then make the movie still hold the audience's attention. So then I was like, do you want to write this with me? And he was like, yeah, sure. And <laughs> we, were, we were eating steak at Sundance. Yeah, it was 2015. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's just and then, and then such sort of, an elite. So yeah. <laughs> as we were eating steak at Sundance, the idea occurred to me. So yeah, so Trevor, yeah, Trevor basically asked if I wanted to come aboard, and I'm like, hell yeah, and uh, that was it. And 2015. So, that was 2015. <clears throat> 2015, and it took us a long time, and we kind of wrote another movie in between, and we just have all these scripts flying around. But this is the one that kind of clicked. And how so, do you? Yeah. How do you? Well, both of you. So mm-hmm. if if this is. 
I, I don't want to impose the label myself, but if, if it is semi-autobiographical, as yeah. you say, uh, how can you bring a co-writer? I mean, do you need that outside set of eyes? Here's like, the thing. You, Here's the thing. It started off entirely autobiographical. Then Fish got involved and became semi-autobiographical. Then it became more semi than autobiographical. Now it's fiction. Mm. But what I like to say is that it's no longer a true story of what happened, but it is a true story of how it felt. And there's definitely bits of us in there all over the place. But and, and in some ways, one of the funny things I've noticed is the real things that happened um, were wilder than the stuff we could write. Like you'd write it and it'd be like, man, that's too much. Even though what happened in real life, you'd, you'd pull back from just because it didn't. Like, come do you have off. an example? It just doesn't feel. Oh, I'm trying to think of one that's not terrible, but. Um, <laughs> This audience um, can handle the terrible. <laughs> I mean, there's there, there's there are just scenes of bullying and this sort of thing where you just don't take it that far, mm. you know, because you just don't want to you don't want to turn people into monsters. Whereas, you know, I was both bullied and a bully at different points. So, which is what the movie's about? It's yeah, about how yeah. does a bullied person s- suddenly realize that bullying is a good tool to rise in the show, social standing? It's a the, it's yeah. a fascinating script. But you you do never reveal the gender. Uh, of Robin uh, Robin makes a couple comments Which are interesting And you, mm-hmm. and you, you don't know if it, I don't even want to ask you I don't want to wreck it I don't want to bastardize it uh, You don't know if it's in jest You don't know if it's a, a, a You know A, a smoke screen of, of sorts mm-hmm. Well right? the, whole, the whole thing is it's There is no right answer There's On purpose There's no right answer Yeah It's not If this movie turned into A gender guessing game Where in the lobby People were like I got the gender right Like we would have failed The point is To write a movie Where the gender Remains open So that It does slide around What happens to a movie If you If the gender's allowed To be fluid In 1987 When we did not have Vocabulary to talk about this And there There are a couple False flags in there Just the way kids would joke yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like people will joke yeah. about this. Or but there's that no or right answer. Yeah. There's it's not, no, it's not absolutely a game. No. 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 Yeah. A lot of uh, a lot of, of slurs and a, a lot of <clears throat> abrasive language in, in the film. And, and at the same time, as as one who grew up in Alberta around the same vintage as you, uh, it took me back in a way that was somewhat shocking uh, to, to, to realize, uh, I guess, in a way, and I'm not saying that as a society we have arrived with our goals of, of inclusivity, et cetera, but, but to look back in the 1980s and realize what was normalized regular language. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good example of somewhere we pulled back. For we real. had it written meaner. <clears throat> we had it written uh, much more like it actually was. The, some of the slurs that I, we remember, like they were in the script, and then the producers went, if we do this, this is what the scene becomes about in 2022. Mm. Do you want the scene to be about this? Or is that derailing it from what the scene's supposed to be about? So we actually watered down some of the slurs just so that they didn't completely pull you out of watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And tell us about casting Vaughn. Vaughn's amazing. So Vaughn oh, is this now 17, but at the time we met, I guess Vaughn was 14, 14 or 15. Yeah. Uh, kid, actor, who had been in like some web series, but nothing big. Um, and we did a cross-Canada casting search through our casting director, Jesse Griffiths, out of Toronto, who's this great, terrific casting director. Nailed Toronto, it. Who, yeah, did a great job on all the kids. But especially, we knew that this movie would sink or swim based on the kid we found to play the lead. And so we, I was nervous. Like, if we don't find a kid who, A, has a fluid gender, B, has a visually cryptic gender, and C, is a good enough actor to draw an audience in despite all these questions that fly around about gender like will the audience actually k- 
care about this kid. Mm. Um, so as soon as I saw that it was the pandemic, so everyone was sending in self tapes and um, I was just watching them on my laptop during COVID and boom, all of a sudden there was Vaughn and I was like, oh, we got, we got, we got Robin. We got one. We got the, mm-hmm. we got the kid. Yeah. And they're just, uh, as you said earlier, they won an acting prize at Locarno and it's usually a gendered acting prize, best actor or best actress. And this year when Vaughn won, they changed the uh, award to best acting performance. performance. Yeah. Ah, they took away gender. See, I thought the, the word actor was just being used across the spectrum it can now. Be. Actor, but, but, so yeah. best acting but performance. But to be very clear about yes. the fact that it wasn't a gendered award anymore, they made it best acting performance. Hmm. Yeah, and and going forward, the Locarno Film Festival will no longer have a gendered acting categories. And that's fa- that's big. falling apart all over the place. Like you know, one day it'll happen to the Grammys. Even it happened to the so, Canadian Screen Awards yeah. this year, which is cool. Hmm. Yeah, it's think- harder in America. There's a lot more money involved in having two categories yeah sure yeah yeah what what, what do you no go ahead one of the guiding principles of 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 all of this even going way back to the beginning is i've always and i think you feel it all the time too like the polarization the two snakes coming together all the time like everybody's fighting everything's so binary and 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 i'm always trying to find this kind of not necessarily the middle ground but at least a, a place where uh contradictory simultaneous truths exist yes and so i think that's a guiding principle of the movie in a way where it's just like uh, when you're watching the film you know if you're worried about what Robin is you can kind of decide and keep watching the film that's fine yes. go for yeah, it or but, you could you know, decide that you don't, don't care. need to know and yeah. the movie continues yeah. like it's um, it's it's almost irrelevant like I don't yeah, want to say it, too much about the film but yeah. it, but it's 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 almost irrelevant uh, to how the film plays out I, I will say that there's this this fascinating dynamic as Robin befriends a bully yeah uh, and 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 trying to understand the bully yeah trying to understand mm-hmm. what makes the bully tick yeah. uh, makes the the uh, processing or the investigation the understanding of the enlightenment around Robin that much more interesting uh, there's there's a, there's a lot of layers to this yeah is it a bully bullied relationship is it a friendship is it a romantic attraction it's blurry 13 is a blurry age <laughs> yes you saying you were a bully and bullied uh, yeah I, well, I was bullied yeah. and I was a bully yeah you get yeah. chased and then you find a littler one yes yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah just animal behavior and then, and then yeah. we grow up and, yeah. and spend decades processing it and trying to make it right for real or write a movie yeah or write a movie <laughs> then about get rid it. Of it i'm fine now then get rid yeah, of it you're the best mother Teresa over here <laughs> yeah we're, we're hanging out with uh fish grakowski and uh trevor anderson and their film is gonna debut it's uh, by the way opening night yeah that's special. You know what? It's opening night of the Rainbow Visions Film Festival, our hometown queer film festival, and it's my 50th birthday. What? Mm-hmm. Thursday, Tomorrow? Thursday, November 3rd. I used to say first feature by 40. I missed that deadline. And I then I started saying first feature by 50, and we got in just under the wire. Thursday, opening night of the Rainbow Vision Film Festival, our movie, my 50th birthday. You're telling me that you had a goal to have your first feature film out by your 50th birthday and on your 50th birthday, your film will open the Queer Film Festival in your, hometown. A, a, in your hometown. That's right. Yeah. 
That's we, phenomenal. Yeah. I feel like I just got chills. Yeah, yeah. We call it, we call that the Underground River. <clears throat> it's just the way things work out. And it's always been that way. Weird coincidences. And, and it's just, you'd, we all feel this all the time, deja vu, this kind of thing. But, you know, yeah. also, there'll be a giant blizzard and no one will come. Like, That's this true. is how the universe works. <laughs> yeah. For, for people outside of our neck of the woods, it is absolutely, we're being blasted with snow right now. Thanks as for we bringing speak. the weather. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just excited that the two of you showed up today. I was like, this is, this is gnarly outside. But, but yeah. I, uh, we're, we're glad that you made it out. You know what? Well, in our live chat right now, Tracy's watching on YouTube and says this the conversation demonstrates how important networking can be to any career. I mean, you talk about these connections mm-hmm. and these happy accidents and the sort of serendipitous paths crossing and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I mean, let me let me give you an example. Like I was just thinking about this the other night. Uh, Johnny, uh, our technical producer, does an amazing job here. And Johnny, this build. I mean, we got the keys to the, to this new studio back in February, mm-hmm. and our first show in here was what October third, I think. Yeah. And so we had the keys for you know six or seven months, and you get antsy, and you're right. building it out, mm-hmm. and all the stuff goes into it. And we would set a date, not announce it publicly, yeah. uh, because you talk to like restaurateurs and other people that would say, "Don't ever announce your date until you know you're ready to go." <laughs> right? And we would have a setback, and we would have a delay, and a setback circumstances outside of ours or the contractor's control and then the final the day that we're able to do it is the tuesday after this thanksgiving long weekend it's on the heels of the ucp leadership oh, vote yeah. and we have a vote and we have the, the, the you know the the ability and then the interest from alberta's new premier to be the first guest in studio and to make a bit of a splash and i just sat there and i thought it doesn't matter what you think about danielle smith it doesn't matter what you think about me or quite frankly it doesn't matter what you think about our new studio but <laughs> those delays and all of those things happened to yeah. the point where on the calendar it worked out that the first guest on the first show from here was a big one yeah. and uh, and that was just that's like one example of a million um, and I do I, I, it's, it's not like uh, I don't know what they say like you don't believe in gravity it's a fact but something like I believe in this stuff that things are supposed to happen <laughs> the paths are supposed to cross that experiences you know do you, you know I get asked sometimes any advice for young filmmakers and I always say don't network make friends uh, you know and there's a big difference <clears throat> and so my film school was going to film festivals and meeting other filmmakers and staying friends with them and and it, you know to the point that I couldn't for years write a feature film and it was my old f- friend from university uh, who was the key to unlocking it like so I think it's just a matter of like make friends and and well, be part of a community yeah and make friends and make stuff with your own. friends that's yeah. the thing like all the best sort of collections of anything happening in my life have always been groups of people like the University of Alberta Gateway was a place like that where from which Stephen Notley emerged and Malcolm Azania and Don Iveson and just just all these people um, and then yeah. we had a festival called Golden West Music Fest same thing for three years and it was just like you know it was hard hard work and some people don't say this but it was some of the best fun I ever had yes you know so just uh, if you if you keep if you keep going with your friends and 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 people even ask quite often it's or like i'll get emails or whatever hey can you help me can you help me with my script or something and i'm just like find somebody else and, and and start pitching it off them and this is kind of an old rule with 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 movies like give everybody your elevator pitch all along but i mean if someone comes up with a really good idea ask them if they want to write it with you mm. yeah yeah so. i love hearing those stories i mean even i don't know if it's maybe it's certainly not exclusively edmonton but even the stories of the old the the, the golden era of, of like sctv in the old itv mm. studio yeah. with these like young 
comedians and improv artists that, mm-hmm. that went on to become some of the all-time greats yeah. um, working together. What a special environment that is. One of the greatest things about this city is that we have a piece of public art that is two artists just down the street, and we just walk yeah. by, and it's Bob, Bob and Doug, right? And I'm just Amazing. like, that is so great. Yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely love it. Yeah, it's like, don't, there's this weird thing that happens in film where there's this myth of the single solitary creative genius, right? It's not just film, it's like, that's just sort of an art idea, but it's, it's bunk. And the truth is, don't feel like you have to do it alone. And when you're done, don't pretend like you did. And there's, and there's one more thing too, like the way Trevor and I work, like we, we both sit, he's typing all the time, he drives, I call it. And um, we will just kind of shoot ideas back and forth. It's kind of like we're doing improv or something like that. Um, but basically, no matter what, like early on, I'm like, you get a 51% vote. Yeah. So, it, so it gets rid of all this tension. It's just like, okay, so I'll fight for something for sure. And I'll keep fighting and he'll change his mind and come back sometimes. But I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, if you give one person the authority that gets rid of some of that, mm. you know, y- y- because someone needs to take responsibility. Someone needs to have the final call. Yeah. Yeah. And it just makes the process move forward. So in our live chat, they're trying to figure out what fish is short for. It's not short for anything. Is it fish to fur? Fish yeah. to fur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's your given name. Uh. People, are, people are guessing Fisher. I don't know. Uh, I want to ask, uh, we've got some great questions. Uh, if, if you're tuning in live, obviously, you know, our hashtag is, is real talk. RJ, you can hit us up in the YouTube chat. Uh, this is a special edition of real talk. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. We had to, to wait for this globe trotter to return to Canadian soil. So we could welcome Trevor Anderson the studio with Fish Grikowski. This conversation is presented by our incredible sponsors, like our friends at Eden Landscaping. Uh, yeah, they, they're aware that it's blizzarding outside, uh, but that doesn't mean that their team is off to Los Rios for the rest of the summer. This is when they start pulling real property reports. It's when their design team starts to draft that blueprint for bringing your outdoor space to life the minute that the ground thaws in spring. Some of this takes time, supply chain issues and the like. You want to get those perfect patio stones reach out to mike and his team today at landscapeedmonton.ca hey we mentioned our hashtag real talk rj by now if you're a regular subscriber to real talk you know that that's powered by your friendly local utilities provider that's park power offering electricity natural gas and internet the best way to save especially heading into these winter months it can get more expensive with our utilities use Bundle the three of them, save on the admin costs, and when you sign up at parkpower.ca, don't forget to use the promo code 2022-REALTALK. It'll knock $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Friesen Brothers knows that great things happen around dinner tables where great food is there. They've, for more than 65 years, been providing exactly that. Still family-owned in 16 Alberta communities. You can learn more about Friesen Brothers meal suggestions. Check out their weekly flyer. Even check out the careers link. You want to work for a family-owned business that has been known for decades as a great place to be? Check out your new opportunity online today at Friesen.com. And I'm sounding the alarm. You are down to 24 hours if you're watching this live and less if you're catching it later to get your hands on your ticket to live in life-changing luxury. It's a $2.2 million dream home, the grand prize of the Covenant Foundation Lottery. But it's not just the keys to the house they'll be giving away. They've got Beamers and Alfa Romeos and they've got a beautiful Lexus. Or of course, you can take the cash plus luxury vacations and getaways, including a guided fishing adventure. 
world-class stuff in support of the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. Get your ticket today. You're almost out of time at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Hanging out with uh, filmmaker Trevor Anderson, his collaborator, co-writer of Before I Change My Mind, Fish Grakowski. Let's take another look. Wanted to give you another sneak peek at this film that will tomorrow night on November 3rd open the Rainbow Visions Film Festival. Moving on. Isabella, are you out there? Come on up. All right, as you know, our lead actress also had to drop out at the last second. No more dropping out! So... I got us a new star. Welcome our new Mary Magdalene, Isabella. This is your boyfriend, Jesus. Not just a director. Uh, uh, that's that's the arguable. (laughs) That's the arguable. (laughs) What's it like for you to be in front of the camera? It's fun. I trained as an actor. I was from the theater first. You have an improv background, right? I used to direct Dynasty, the live improvised soap opera. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so so it was fun for me to get back to playing a theater director named Trevor Anderson. We have this idea that in all the future features, I should always come back as a different bad director named Trevor Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't uh, overlook the fact that you also make a cameo as the get off my lawn guy. <clears throat> yeah, not just that. I mean, and, and that was really funny because I just got a text. It's like, you have to be the garden yard dad. dad. Yard, yard dad. dad. Yard like, dad. I don't want to do that. But anyway. Meanwhile, P.S., we put out the casting call for all of the smaller roles and I got so many texts from friends. I want yard dad. I don't even know what it is. I have to play yard dad. That's my life now. And I'm like, no, Fish has to play it. And I'm telling Fish, you're yard dad. And he's like, I don't want it. I'm like, you know, you know how many people want yard dead <laughs> and then i also play in in the uh, there's sort of a musical number and you can you can just see me in a cameo i'm dressed as a rubik's cube which is kind of a which is kind of a, a wink at the fact that every dumb netflix show set in the 80s about three minutes in shows a rubik's cube like it's just, you'll, you'll now that i've said it you'll see it like always. stranger things or something yeah like stranger that. things right away like yeah. back to the future they're all there have all that actually, so one of my that actually rules, was the 80s one of my rules for the designers was no rubik's cubes <laughs> yeah and then it was like, except fish will be dressed as a giant human-sized Rubik's cube. Yeah, yeah the the editing's phenomenal, and and I know that for people listening on a podcast, it'll be annoying to talk too much <laughs> about the editing if they can't see it, and they'll have to see the film. Um, but but there's uh, it, it kind of maybe don't take it as a direct parallel. Don't roll your eyes. I'm just a civilian. Okay, yeah. this is an no, un, this is I'm an uneducated comment. But mm-hmm. you know, in the Big Lebowski, when it kind of cha- it kind of turns, and he's like meeting with Jackie Treehorn, and then yeah. it gets on to this really super trippy. Yeah, but really great scene of him going down. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? The really the psychedelic uh, kind of five minutes of that film that I love. It's usually, I mean, if you if you know, for those that would would enjoy their films with a big handful of mushrooms, that yeah. scene is right <laughs> when they're firing. Um, and 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 you had a lot of fun, obviously, with with your team and the talented editors that you worked with and things like that to 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 really take some creative liberties there. And it really makes the film that much more intriguing. I like that you're basically suggesting people watch this coming of age movie on drugs. Yeah, I mean, I suggest people do everything on drugs, but but including watching this. No, no, 
no, but in all seriousness, I, I just thought that the editing was, was really captivating. And, and then there's some kind of like fun uh, underlying themes too. I'm, I'm curious if your personal experience or perspective on religion or faith uh, factored into the script no. at all, including the Jesus Christ superstar twist. Well, mm. two things. Let's go to editor first and then Jesus. <laughs> so Justin, <laughs> then Jesus. Our editor is Justin Lachance, who I've worked with on my short film since 2008. He lived in Edmonton. He's like Franco Alberton, and his gig was cutting the French Evening News. Wow. And then he realized, like, I'm, I'm cutting the French Evening News, and I have this skill set, So why, and I'm French. So why am I not living in Quebec where there's a huge French cinema scene, and I'll work as an editor there? So he moved to Montreal, which is why I do all my posts in Quebec, because I'm just following Millwood's boy, Justin Lachance. Um, and he's actually become kind of a superstar. He uh, got Emmy nominated for HBO's Big Little Lies. Wow. And uh, also Sharp Objects. Yes. And he just did uh, Under the Banner of Heaven, that um, Mormon murder mystery uh, with Andrew Garfield. So he's like actually out of our league now, yeah. but I keep telling him like, you have to, you have to hey, <laughs> we got one. You got to, you got to do it. You got to tell the big high paying American TV shows that you got to squeeze in a Canadian indie in the gaps. Mm. So we're very lucky to, that Justin keeps taking our calls and he's an old friend and he's an important part of the, of the creative process. But now Jesus. So in the middle, you just saw the scene where it's a community theater production. It, it, the joke is that within the movie, they were going to do Jesus Christ superstar. Couldn't get the rights. And so I, quote unquote, I, my character, uh, writes an original stage musical from Mary Magdalene's point of view called Mary Magdalene Video Star. And it's not so much to put in there for like the religious themes, but more like, like Mary Magdalene and Jesus. What even are we? Are we boyfriend and girlfriend or what? Like, so that is what we can thematically use to, as a sort of a satire level, our heroes are undergoing those themes. What is our relationship? Bully, bullied, friends? Is it romantic? What's happening? Meanwhile, the parents have a storyline where that's happening. Are we dating? Yeah. Is this a good fit? And then there's the Jesus Mary Magdalene parody level, which allowed us to write a bunch of original songs with Lyle Bell. Yeah. And 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 I love Jesus Crepes, Christ Superstar. Tre- Trevor doesn't <laughs> Jesus necessarily... Crepes. Let's Jesus open a Crepes breakfast Superstar. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's one of my favorite parts of the movie, uh, mostly because uh, when Trevor and I first wrote the lyrics for it, they were kind of placeholder lyrics and they were really dumb. And then a few weeks later, he comes back with the music that he and Lyle have put together. And Lyle's just such a genius at, at, at making songs, like he's a total hit maker. And, uh, and, and it's the dumb lyrics and I'm just laughing my head off. And so that part of the movie, I think for a lot of people is where they're real, like, you know, they're gonna like the movie. But That's th- the trippy sequence. That's the, yeah, this, this is the part where you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Tracy's wondering on our live chat, uh, if this is something, if this film is something that you think uh, might ultimately be shown in schools. Yeah, um, we just won the Student Choice Award in Philadelphia. I was nervous. Like mm-hmm. the true litmus test on a film like this is like what do teenagers think? What do today's youth think? Yeah. And we showed it to like hundreds of public school, high school kids, which is another dicey thing because they were a little older than the kids in the movie. And, you know, at that age, if you're shown something and it's a couple years younger than you, it might be you might feel it's patronizing or so I knew I was kind of walking into the lion's den with this, but it was great. And they all responded great. We did a wonderful Q&A, really great questions and they were super engaged and then we won the student choice award at philadelphia film festival so that to me is like the like okay we did it and the, kids, the kids like it and mm. kids are so smart and i'm not saying they like the movie because they're smart but i mean we all, we all know this though you <laughs> encounter them we, like like just the, the minds of children are 
unshackled with the baggage we all have and it, 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 it's and, and working with the kids on the movie was so much fun and they were just having such a blast and we were sometimes worried if <clears throat> you know they were working long hours or whatever it would be cold or something like that but then we re-met them in calgary when we showed the movie and this is the stuff they're bragging about like anything that was hard they're like yeah and we were Amazing. Up on the roof and we yeah, shot so, for 18 hours exactly yeah they, anderson they, they was throw, slamming the table <laughs> and kicking the tripods and yeah what a monster <laughs> yeah we, we we hear a lot about uh, people. People sort of like identify, obviously, by by uh, what's the word like generation, right? Like people. Yeah. Will, I, we we received a letter. People send us emails all the time, which we really appreciate. To talk at RyanJesperson.com. Uh, tell us what you think about this interview. Uh, someone wrote in and you know opened with you know as an elder millennial, right? Or people oh. will say like as a boomer or as a yeah, Gen Xer right. or, or whatever. And I and I feel like today's youth is it Gen Z? I think we we got a we got we got Harris hanging out with us. He's doing a job shadow this yeah, morning. Harris, in the back what do you hanging think? Out. Harris, what are you Gen Z? <laughs> Yeah, Gen Z. So what? Ne- what's next? What's they- next? I don't. Yeah, right. They ran out of. I don't know. But they get a bit of a bad rap. Um, but also, I think get a lot of praise. You know, people say like like millennials. They don't. They, every millennial wants a raise right out of the gates. Every millennial wants to be a VP out of university. And then people will say, but Gen Z has has, has these leadership characteristics where they're, they're they won't wait for the typical promotion through the corporate ladders. Gen Z makes it happen. Gen Z wants to be the boss. What insight did you get, like working with such a talented cast of young people uh, that maybe you didn't have before? Well, specificity is your friend in storytelling. And so any kind of generalizations like that go right out the window. And, you know, these are super talented, smart people. And yes, they're and our age range was 12 to 15 in the main cast, but it you just direct them exactly like you direct an adult. You just talk to them and ask them what they think and listen to their answer and work together and make the thing. So if anything, like I go to Q and A's and I get older audience members asking like, did the, did you have to explain things to those kids? You know, it's like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like bangs? I had to explain bangs to those kids. No, like gender. No. I mean, honestly, we spent more time talking about bangs than gender. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think young people today are probably more enlightened uh, on on matters like that or realities like that than than us old schoolers anyway. Well, one of the reasons we set the movie in 1987 was to say, like, this idea of a non-binary gender or gender being, like, fluid, that's not new. Our language around it, the language we're using today is today's language. Granted, we didn't have really any language around it in 87, but the exp- I had the experience. People would say to me, are you a boy or a girl? And I would know in my heart that the answer was complicated and more complicated than I had words for. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wasn't gonna have the answer in that conversation. I wasn't gonna have the answer that year. I didn't get language around this until we started writing this movie, which is kind of why the movie brings up the question and doesn't answer it, because that was my experience. Hmm. I knew there was a question I didn't have the answer to. I also knew I had to get through my day in grade eight. And so this movie is like, yeah, we're raising a question. We're not answering it in the 90 minutes it takes to watch the movie. And the kids still got to like, survive grade eight. What would be the mark of a, I mean, aside from, from uh, you, know, you know, earning $250 million and, and setting yourself up, uh, you know, for the rest of your life uh, with that type of what we would perceive to be success, what would the both of you um, deem to be a, a successful rap to this project? Would it, would, it, would it be that it would impact one person? Would it be that, that uh, people are able to see it from coast to coast and beyond? Like, how do you, how do you gauge the success 
of a cre is it all it's already, it's already successful happened. yeah yeah it's already yes. happened it's already happened take us like, into that like basically we we'd, we'd submitted it to different festivals and some of the ones that we'd been part of for years with the short films we love them but they said no and so we were trevor and i were sort of like oh well okay cool maybe this isn't going to work out and then and then and then locarno showed up which is a big one that not a lot of people know about here over in europe everybody knows about it but uh as soon as i saw that uh that jaguar i was like oh yeah here we are we've landed (laughs) and to me like the other side of that is yeah like the kids in philadelphia responding to it you know that the idea that it's having an impact we'll never know about people will see this movie we'll never know they exist <laughs> they'll have an experience with it that's why i mean i start the reason i moved from theater to film two reasons like when you're done with theater it's over it's gone and with film like people can still go to my website and see the first short film i ever made it's still around mm. people need to go to your website <laughs> and watch the little deputy sweet thanks that is that <laughs> is what is it it's like 10 minutes nine nine minutes and it is Masterful. I, I've I, I've honestly probably watched it ten times. Like I I just there's it's just so good. Hey, this is my chance to plug. I just found out on plug November twenty eighth, yeah. Monday, November twenty eighth, Metro Cinema is going to do an hour of my personal short films. So the little deputy, you can see it on the big screen. Monday, November 28th, and the tickets and the details will all be at metrocinema.org. With some of Edmonton's best popcorn. That's right. That popcorn's good. Mm-hmm. And, then, and, then, and beers. They, have, they sell beers yeah, in the theater. Yeah, get a beer and watch is, a short know, get film. Get a beer and watch a short. And, get, and getting back to what you said, I think, um, you know those movies you watched when you were a kid? For me, it was Star Wars, but <laughs> I, I hope that this is someone's Star Wars. And wow. 20 years from now, I'll hear about it. That's yes. kind of, you know what I mean? Where it's yeah. just like, this was the thing that really spoke to them. I don't know why for me it was robots and androids and <laughs> laser swords but I'm getting yeah. that feeling already that there are non-binary kids that I'm meeting on the road mm-hmm. that are coming up to me and saying thank you like here's a movie mm-hmm. where I can relate to the hero but it's not all about their gender yes yeah and I think that was missing in closing uh, I'm so grateful for your time I know that like you 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 like just arrived you've been you've been here for hours and you're in our studio <laughs> I'm and so I, happy there's to be a here. lot for you to do you we're, step off we're the thrilled plane, to have you here you feel the moisture fleeing your body and <laughs> yeah. you, you know you're home <laughs> yes exactly but everybody wants to talk to you today and I know you got a lot of stuff going on we won't keep you too long but then this is a bit of a cliche question but I know that there are people that that um, uh, by way of our audience uh, politicos and, and news hounds and and you know really engaged people that are g- going to be maybe listening to their first kind of arts oriented interview in a while Good. and cool. your fan base um, is going to be maybe discovering this show for the first time and Love so I, I think that we're going to have a really neat audience dynamic and so pardon the cliche question but I want to ask both of you um, about about your message to today's youth about pursuing dreams and we talked a bit about collaborating mm. and creating and, and Trevor filmmaking is so different and the music business is so different and, and Fish I mean like even you know, you've had you've had like a a, a, a big mainstream. Me- Both you and I did sure. long mainstream media careers. You still have yeah. a, a print career, but boy, mm-hmm. has print ever changed over the years? Don't changed. worry, I'm not going to yeah. put you in a tough spot unless <laughs> you want to go there yourself. Yeah. Uh, but but like, let me start with you, Fish. Like, what you know, for for a young person that would love to be an arts critic yeah. for a major newspaper to have a column. Right, right, right. I mean, I I follow whatever you do. Like, I started off by writing in my diary in grade four. I have this little pink diary with three entries in it, and it's like what I watched on TV. And then later on when I was in grade 11, I just I went on a trip to Japan and just started writing what was going on, and that's how I started. And so I didn't wait to have the job. I just 
eventually did the thing, started taking pictures, and then the job just kind of showed up. It sort of formed around me. Mm. I never really wanted to be a writer, hilariously. Um, I always wanted to be a photographer more than a writer, and I've done a cartoon since, like, printed since or published since 1989 um i know Tell people tr- what it is yeah well there's it's called yeah i may as well come out of the, 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 the oh the, yes well because i've never necessarily it. said of it, but it's, yeah, it's, it it's called uh it's called i don't even know what it's called it's called the uh, social distance happenings right now and it's on gig city <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah gigcity.ca yeah, exactly. where real talk advertises yeah, so yeah, we're happy are, to direct yeah. people there so i'm sorry sorry to mike ross that i <laughs> always <don't>. plugging always <laughs> plugging trevor I, ABP. And, and i'm busy all the time so i don't even do it every week but uh but but i've been this the continuous line since i was a kid trevor and i work very differently but what, what i would say is just do the thing like don't hesitate and in in trevor's case he waits every year or whatever to let something loose but i just throw junk out there all the time and i'm just like and it's part of what keeps me sane is just to keep just to, and 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 again with the diary too it's just like i need to write down what's happening like so i'll write about this i'll write about what daniel smith said i'll write about trevor and i going for lunch it's all in there so yeah there's this thing and it's like it, it is hilariously uh, 51 volumes which is randomly just happens to be my age too. So. Yeah. yeah, I well, I mean, I just I, I mentioned your Canon that you, yeah. you you you've always got this camera. I mean, it seems to yeah. me you've always got the camera with you, For real. and you've uh, we've interacted at high points and low points. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you all you know what I love about the way that you take photos and you've probably seen this more from fish than I have but you're you're not like stand there hold it wait the, give me a smile like you're just like bam yeah. and you, you're you're like one shot Jack like you yeah. and I'd be I would love to scroll through the images that you capture because they're very very candid I would imagine I've seen a few yeah there's I have eighty albums up until about the year two thousand and then more than a million photos since then literally so more yeah than no a million? yeah yeah literally for sure and li- data management as any photographer knows is the worst part of it and I'm terrible at labeling things but what i would love you know maybe after i die someone can do this is just have an art show whatever length of time it is all the photos just play in a row 24 yes. hours so yes you know. that's such a good idea and yeah. this is what I'm, I'm gonna pick up what you're talking about here because i while you were talking i was thinking about like emily dickinson who never published a poem in her life right she would write them and i stick them under her bed is my image i don't know if that i got that from somewhere yeah. if that's true so it's like do the thing as fish was saying as herzog says indulge your obsessions you don't have to look for the exterior validation it will come or it won't we could have all of these lives and think we're these great filmmakers la 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 blah 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 we were on the radio but then we could die and maybe it's the photos the 24 yeah. hour photo every second art piece that fish is remembered for and he'll be dead and he won't even know it you know mm. so if you're trying it. to like predict the way something's going to land in the world you're going to just it's a it's a world of grief but it, just do the thing indulge the obsession follow your heart make the thing and that's really truly what matters especially if you're doing it with friends and make and make the thing that you need to make that you want to make like yeah. don't chase what's cool or trendy because for sure this movie kind of landed at a good time, I think, in the conversation widely, but we were a little early, I think. In you some see a million you. short films. Right after Reservoir Dogs came out, right. every short film looked like Reservoir Dogs. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's like if you start from your gut, you're going to make something authentic to you and it's going to be it's going to be different from everything else. I love it. I love that you referenced Werner Herzog. I just watched Grizzly Man again the other day. Yeah. That's, his storytelling is I love how he narrates. 
Like he's just he's 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 like he's a it's there's been this trend in voiceover acting as if I need to tell you guys but but uh, like just like a, a more chill very sort of a conversation he's very listenable and his storytelling the way that he allows shots to breathe and stuff like that I mean I just think he's a he's a master I love that you, you cited him there yeah I was lucky I got to go to his rogue film school and like study really? under him a little bit and that that's incredible do right? that voiceover tell that story. Uh, I don't oh yeah he said he had seen the high level bridge this short film I made called the high level bridge <laughs> and I met him and he's holding a Heineken and a clipboard hello and uh, and he he says oh yes I saw the high level bridge uh, very accomplished filmmaking and so that's the quote that's on my website very accomplished filmmaking Bernard song what he went on to say which is not on my website is like but it has one important flaw <laughs> And I'm like, oh, and he's pointing right at my heart. It's like Werner Herzog's pointing at my heart and saying, flaw. And one important flaw. What's that? The voiceover. It should be more deadpan. And I, I, I said, I'm like, okay, take the note. Don't contradict Werner Herzog. And I think, okay, well, um, that, that's, that's, that's interesting. People tell me it's deadpan. <laughs> he's like, no, I know what I'm talking about. I was on The Simpsons. <laughs> That's how he wins an argument. He doesn't win an argument with I'm Werner Herzog. He wins it with like I was on The Simpsons. Yeah. And I think his point was it's funnier the more deadpan you are. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, and I guess I think it's a pretty dry and deadpan voiceover, but he can hear that it's not dry enough. Mm. Drier. Mm. Needs to be drier. So, yeah, too much. Too much. I can hear the irony. I guess I have too much irony for Werner Herzog. Uh. But he's a great... Uh, teacher, he's like he's like he's like he's got this grandfatherly energy where it's like mm. he really, from he, through his, you know, German distance, he's he cares about all the young filmmakers and wants to help. So yeah, he's he's a great. You you are already guy. that person to someone. I'm someone's Herzog. Cool You're my Herzog. I'm your Herzog. <laughs> hey, if you take anything from today, be someone's Herzog. <laughs> Keeping it real since 2020. The Van right. real talk. Right. And you can keep the mugs. <laughs> okay, uh, that's uh, filmmaker <clears throat> Trevor Anderson. You could check out his uh, incredible work at Trevor Anderson Films. Dot com and Fish Grakowski, a dear friend of mine. And uh, I never know where our conversations are going. We kept this one pretty on the rails, considering we did. where we sometimes considering go. Considering the world is on fire because my people are starting World War III, we did definitely. Yes. Yeah. Like, I didn't even ask. I've got some emails pulled from people that have nothing to do with the film. Do you want to talk about World War III? I, I mean, I've got nowhere well, to I mean, be. We've got nowhere to be. I was, th I was thinking, like, if, you know, quite frankly, you two, if this interview sucked, yeah. um, I was just going to drag you into the muck and mire right. of... Uh, uh, you know, for example, Kevin wrote in to say, I, I, I think that there are thousands of possible Halloween costume ideas. I'm not a Christian, but I do wonder why people seem to think it's okay to dress up in parodies of religious leaders. Uh, why do we have to use it as an attack, uh, an attack on a group? Uh -oh. uh, why be a jerk to those who believe? And I was going to drag you into a conversation on Halloween costumes. He's not going to like our movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, hey, the two of you, uh, I'm so thrilled uh, to see uh, the success of this film. It's so well-deserved. Uh, Trevor, you're a, you're a household name uh, for anyone in, in Western Canada and, and across the country that, that is, is big into indie films and the art of storytelling. But this, your first feature, I'm still getting chills thinking about the fact that it's open uh, the Rainbow Visions Festival on your 50th birthday 
so unbelievably yeah, come cool. watch me drop dead on stage yeah well don't say <laughs> shit like that because what if it happens knock on the white oak i don't know if it happens, this it just custom gets table constructed by our friends at urban timber you see how yeah uh, nice well job. all right hey, can i can i do one shout out of course uh, you can do 100 there's a huge fan of yours named chris who works at save on foods ah. uh, downtown and he always asks me when are you going to be on jesperson oh amazing and I'm like, one of these days anyway hi chris amazing <laughs> hi chris and, and th- thank you so much for your support of the show that's fish grakowski of course and you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at fisheye photo yeah, uh, with all F uh, yeah. all Fs yeah, <laughs> fisheye yeah. photo uh, tomorrow night uh, November 3rd is it sold out I, people can no, check out Rainbow people Vision should Film get their Festival. tickets in advance if they want to come because it's going to sell out but of course um, it is I think there's still some tickets right now if you go to metrocinema.org or even rainbowvisions.ca I'm looking at it right now yeah. uh, it looks to me like uh, yeah okay still a couple tickets available for before I change my mind uh, directed by Trevor Anderson and co-written by fish Grakowski uh, a real treat to have you both in studio. Much Thanks, love Ryan. and mad respect. Thanks, Ryan. Okay. Okay. Now get the hell out of here. Right, okay, bye. bye. All right, you two. Coming up on tomorrow's edition of the best of real talk as we wrap up our week. They're stirring it up, each in their own way. The cowboy hat wearing quick dick McDick and country music singer Brett Kissel. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 